0: Well hello everybody, welcome to Epic. If you are new with us, whether you are new here on campus or if you are new online, my name is Trent and I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are in part four of our series called Revealed where we are learning what God's names reveal to us about him. And I've said each week in this series, I think this series is so important because so often we have a wrong understanding of God. We don't understand him the way that he reveals himself. And so studying his names can actually help us learn how to interact with God more accurately, based upon his character, based upon his heart. For us, we can find out the things that are very important to him. We can find out how he interacts with us, and most importantly, how we should interact with him based on who he is. So if you're new with us, here are some of the names that we've learned about God. So far, we've learned Elohim, which means strong creator and sustainer of life. Then we learned the name Yahweh, or or it can be used as Jehovah, which, which talks about God's ever presence in our lives. So let me remind you today that there is never a moment that God is not in your life. There is never a situation that you can go through that God is not there in the present. He doesn't come to us and say, Hey, I was. He doesn't come and say, I will be. He says, I am. So he is here for you now. Then we learned the name El Roy, which was a very personal name for God given to God by a woman in a time of crisis. So Hagar gave God that name in a moment when she was lost. She was lost in the wilderness. She didn't know where to go. She didn't know what to do. And God saw her. God found her. God revealed himself to her. And she gave God the name Elroy, again, which means the God who sees me. Then last week, we looked at the name Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And that name doesn't mean the Lord might provide. It means the Lord will provide. So in those moments when we have legitimate needs, God will provide for our needs. He may not provide our wants, but he certainly will provide our needs. We just have to keep our eyes open for God's provision. Now, today we're gonna talk about Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But next week, we are going to end this series in a special way by looking at a special name that Jesus gave us for God the Father, and that is Abba. Jesus said we can call God Abba Father. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll also celebrate communion together. And uh, communion is a a very special uh, sacrament for us to engage And we don't see in Scripture that God gives us a frequency for which we should engage it. He just tells us we should engage that. And so next week, we'll engage communion together, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. That'll be a special time for us in the life of our church. And uh, if you are watching online, uh, I invite you to come and celebrate communion with us. But if you're not comfortable with that or if you live out of our local area, I encourage you to get your communion elements ready and then I'll guide you through that and how we can do that together next week. Now, here's another way that we're going to end this series in a special way. Next Sunday, we're going to go watch a movie together. Yay, Yay one person's excited. Yay. All right, so we're not gonna watch it in the morning when we have our services, so come to our services as normal. But later that night at six o'clock, we have rented one of the theaters down at Epic Theaters, and we are gonna watch this movie together. It's called Show Me the Father. Anybody seen it yet? Great, I'm the only one. So guess what? You got a movie to come watch next week. So I watched this movie a few weeks ago, knowing that I was gonna be speaking about Abba Father next week. And when I watched this movie, I thought we gotta have our church family there. We gotta see this thing. This is an amazing film. And it's not like a typical film. So uh, this movie follows several different stories of people's lives and it talks about the significance of their fathers in their lives. And then it translates that to the significance of God being our Father. It's a great movie. And I hope that you'll come and watch this with us next week. So here are the details that you need to know. So we'll be at Epic theaters here locally, and the cost is 10 dollars and 50 cents plus tax. I think it's like 11.25. I guarantee you, it's the best 11:25 that you'll spend. And if it isn't, I'll give you your money back. How about that? Can't beat that deal. And the time is 6 p.m., so if, if you want to you know, get there early, pick your seat out, get some popcorn, all that, we would encourage you to do that. We'll have some of our staff members there to help guide you. But when you go up to the ticket counter, just tell them you were with Epic Church for our private showing of Show Me the Father, and they'll direct you in that way. Um, so it's kind of a first-come, first-served basis, um, so I would encourage you to get there early and again. The date is October 3rd. So that is next Sunday. Okay? Now, um, this is kind of a weird rabbit trail, and I probably shouldn't even chase this rabbit, but sometimes things pop into my head and I don't stop them before they, they, I get too far in it. So um, next week is the opening of the, the movie Venom. So I thought, man, this would just be cool if we packed out a theater to show me, show me the father, instead of packing out a theater for Venom. So that's my rabbit trail. Um, Nothing against Venom, just saying, I think Show Me the Father will be a better film. So come next week and celebrate that with us. Okay, today we are going to learn about the name Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And it was given to God by a guy who had no peace in his life. He was full of fear and anxiety. And yet, he gave God this name after he had a significant interaction with God. So if you're somebody who wrestles with fear, who wrestles with insecurity, you are going to connect with the guy that we're going to learn about today. His name is Gideon. And we're going to learn about Gideon in Judges chapter 6. But before we dive into that portion of scripture and get introduced to him, let me tell you his backstory. So his backstory actually goes back to what we learned about last week. Last week we learned about Abraham and Sarah, and we've been talking a lot about them in this series and the series we did prior to this. But just as a review, God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, listen, I'm picking you to be the father and the mother of my specially chosen people and they didn't have any descendants. And he said, I'm gonna bless the entire world through you and your descendants. And then 25 years later, after that promise, he gave them a child, Isaac. And then that child had kids. And uh, there, actually Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Jacob, ended up in Egypt with his family. He had about 70 people with him at that time. And um, they didn't talk a lot about birth control back then. So in a short amount of time, they went from about 70 people to several million people. So the Egyptians got alarmed. They said, like, This group of Israelites, they're going to conquer us one day. So they put them into intense slavery for 400 years. God rescued them. When they cried out to God for help, God sent Moses. Moses came and rescued them, led them to what is known as the promised land. And then Moses handed off the leadership to Joshua, his assistant, and Joshua led them into the promised land. God told Joshua, when you go into the promised land, I want you to drive everybody out of this land. Don't let anybody stay. Drive them out. Why? Because they engaged the evil practices of human sacrifice and even child sacrifice. God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with those people because they will pull you away from me if you leave them here. So the Israelites went into the promised land and they drove out most of the people, not all of the people, and the remaining groups, distracted the Israelites in the relationship with God. They actually tempted them away from God and actually got some of them engaged in some of these evil practices in worshiping other gods. So God, as a result, allowed some other nations to come and oppress them and attack them for different periods of time. When they would cry out to God for help, God would send someone in this part of their story, God would send someone called a judge to free them from that oppression and those attacks from other nations. Gideon is one of those judges. But once they were freed, it didn't take long for them to get distracted again. And turn away from God again. And they ended up on that cycle of turning to God, turning away from God, crying out to God for help again, turning away from God. And, you know, when I I read that portion of their story, I think, like, who would ever turn away from God when God has freed them? And then I think, oh, wait, we do that. I do that. We do that on a regular basis. There are moments that God comes and rescues us in our lives from some situation or some specific moment, and then we get some mileage between us and that moment, and then sometimes we think it's all about us again. And we drift back, we get distracted in life, and we find ourselves stuck again in life. So that's the situation that Gideon and the Israelites are in at this portion of the story. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 1 tells us the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight again. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Verse seven, when they cried out, to the Lord because of Midian. The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and this prophet said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Now, we've heard this reference of the angel of the Lord multiple times in this series and the previous series. So again, pop quiz. Who is the angel of the Lord most often when we see that in the Old Testament? It's Jesus before we know him as Jesus. So we have God the Son sitting under a big tree that he has created. In verse 11, it says, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, where do mighty heroes do their uh, threshing of wheat? Do they do it in the wine press, at the bottom of the wine press, hiding, hoping no one will see them doing what they're doing? No, that's not where mighty warriors uh, do their work. And so Gideon says, I'm sorry, you must have the wrong person. I'm scared to death. I'm hiding. Verse 14 says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And then Gideon replied, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So Gideon tells God basically, like, I'm a nobody. You can't use me. You can't do significant things in my life because I'm just a nobody. If you've ever felt like a nobody, watch out. God loves to use nobodies and do significant things for him when we trust him. And we've seen that in this series. We've seen it in the previous series where God continues to pursue and empower and enable people who think they can't do anything for God. And he comes along and says, I'm going to use you to do something great and significant And he chooses Gideon, and he does that again with him in this moment. Now, even though Gideon realizes, hey, I'm talking with God here, he's still afraid. So he gives him a test. He says, I need you to prove yourself to me, that you're really going to work with me, that you're really going to use me in a significant way. And he has this crazy request, and he says, like, hey, can we have lunch? Kind of a weird request. And God says, sure, go get lunch. So Gideon um, runs and gets some Chick-fil-A. He gets a, a number one combo, extra pickles, sweet iced tea. It's a meal everybody should have. He brings it back, and, and Scripture says that God consumed the meal with fire in that moment. And uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 22 says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, and I'm going to Take that phrase out for a second and replace it with God. Okay? So when Gideon realized that it was God that he was interacting with, he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen God face to face. And the Lord replied, It is all right. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And then Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. We'll get back to the significance of that name for us and for Gideon in just a minute. But notice what Gideon said the next time the Midianites came to devour their land. In verse 36, he said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. Prove it to me this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. So off to battle we go, right? Nope. Gideon's not ready yet. So in verse 39, he says, "Um, God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. Uh, This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So on three separate occasions, Gideon says to God, God, you got to prove yourself to me. I am scared to death. I am not confident that you are going to use me to do this thing you're asking. So God, you've got to prove yourself. And God proved himself each time. Now, Gideon's still afraid, but he knows it's time because God has proven himself over and over again. So he's got to go rally the troops So he goes out and he invites as many warriors as he can find from Israel. And he says, listen, you guys, God has come to me. He says he's going to use me to free us from the Midianites. And I need you to come and bring your swords for battle. And he musters up 32,000 warriors. And that sounds like a great number until you count the number that the Midianites had. They had 135,000 warriors. So the numbers are still off here. But God comes to Gideon and says, listen, Gideon, you've asked me to prove myself to you, and I have. And I'm about to prove myself to you in such a big way, it's going to stretch your faith and your understanding of who I am. So you have way too many warriors. And Gideon's like, wait a minute. I'm not great with math, but you know, 32,000 versus 135,000, that doesn't seem fair. God says, if I let you go into battle and you win, you'll think you did it all by yourself. So I have to prove to you that this battle being won is about me at work, not about you. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send all of your warriors who are afraid home. Just tell them if you're afraid to fight, go home. So Gideon gets in front of his warriors and he does his best William Wallace impression. You know, the Braveheart moment. So he's, you know, he's talking his troops up like we're about to go into battle and they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, if you're afraid, you can go home. 22,000 men go, that's me. I'm afraid. I'm out of here. Scared to death. Uh, Like, I got to go home. So 22,000 leave. It leaves him with 10,000 left. God comes back and says, "Uh, you still have too many. Gideon's like, what are you talking about? Like, we just lost 22,000. God says, you still have too many. So go down to the river, tell everybody to get a drink, and only keep the warriors who cup the water with their hand and drink out of it. Only keep those. Guess how many there were? There were 300. 300 cupped the water. That means 9,700 stuck their face in the river and took a drink. God said, send those guys home. So, Gideon has 300 warriors, started with 32,000. How do you think his confidence is feeling right about now? They think he's ready for battle? Like, no. Like, he was afraid before, he's even more afraid now, but God continues to reassure him and prove himself to him. So, Judges chapter 7, verse 8 says the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, "Get up and go down into the midnight camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are still afraid, I love how gracious God is here with Gideon. If you're still afraid." to go attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. So Gideon is convinced. And he takes his, his 300 warriors. And he gives everybody a ram's horn and a clay pot with a torch in it. He says, when I give you the signal, we're all going to gather around our enemies And when I give the signal, blow your ram's horn as loud as you possibly can, break your clay pot, and then shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And listen to what happened when they did that. Judges 7 verse 21 says, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And Gideon and his 300 warriors pulled out their lawn chairs and watched the fun. So only God can cause 135,000 warriors to basically kill themselves and keep 300 warriors out of most of that. But those who escaped the 300 warriors in Gideon chased them down. And in that interaction, God used Gideon and 300 warriors to defeat 135,000 warriors. Only God can do that. Now, there's some things about this story that I personally love and I personally connect with. And one of the things that I like about this story is how God treated Gideon in spite of his insecurity. So Gideon was constantly insecure. And God comes to him and says, listen, mighty warrior, I want to use you. And Gideon goes like, "Nope, not me. Uh, OK, so maybe me, but you got to prove yourself. Uh, God, you got to prove yourself again. OK, God, one more time, you got to prove yourself again. And each time God proved himself to Gideon. And the thing that I like about that is God is so incredibly gracious and patient with us, especially when we are insecure and afraid. Anybody ever been insecure or afraid in your life? All right, that applies to a lot of us. A lot of us wrestle with insecurity and fear. And I wrestle with that as well. I talked to you last week about us celebrating our 12th birthday as a church. So on September 20th, marked 12 years for us. And uh, if you haven't heard uh, this part of my story, you got to know going back 13 years prior, I was scared to death. Felt like God had come to my wife and I and asked us to start Epic. And actually, prior to 13 years, several years prior to that, God came and asked us to do that. And I said no on multiple occasions for several years. I said, no, thanks. Pick somebody else. I can't do that. I responded like Gideon, like, I'm just nobody. I could never do that. And yet God continued to confirm what he was asking us to do. On one of the times that God reassured me, he actually took Tammy and I down to Orlando for what was known as a church planter assessment center. Doesn't that sound like a whole lot of fun? So if you ever think that maybe you want to start a church, there's actually these assessment centers that you can go to and as you go to them, you do all kinds of personality profiles before you go. And there's these assessors that are there that have all this information about you. And then you go, you have to preach a sermon. You have to do some vision casting. You have to do all kinds of group projects. They start early in the morning. They, they go till late at night. It's a whole week experience. And they're trying to simulate ministry exhaustion to see how do you behave when you get tired. Like, Because we can all you know, put our best you know, foot forward and, and act well when we're feeling great and we know people are watching, but when we get tired, weird things start to happen. So they're, they're trying to look for that. And at the end of this assessment, they were going to tell us uh, one of several things. One, we think you have what it takes to do this. Or two, we don't think you have what it takes. We think you should go do anything else but this. There were about 40 people being assessed at that time, and we had about 35 assessors. And any room that we walked into had a room full of assessors with notebooks wide open, and they were writing the whole time, constantly, very quiet. But they were writing about us to give us their answer at the end of the week. So at the end of the week, Tammy and I sat down with our assessor. And our assessor said, we think you have what it takes. I said, can you look at your paper again to make sure you got the right name on the right paper? because I think maybe you messed up. And uh, that assessor spoke into Tammy and Mai's life and said, we think that um, God is calling you and God is working in your life to start a church. And and we think you have the basic building blocks for that. And they gave us an assessment packet with their recommendations for us. I still have that packet by my bed. Occasionally, I pull it out and flip through it. Because that was one way that God reassured me in a moment where I was anxious and fearful and wasn't sure if I could do what God was asking me to do. And then I came back from that going like, God, I'm still not convinced. I'm still not sure that I'm the guy for this, that we're the family for this. And like I said last week, God surrounded us with about 25 adults who said, we'll do this with you. We'll roll up our sleeves, and we will dive in and help you launch this. And like, I can't tell you how grateful I am for those 25 people. They became, for me, like Gideon's 300 warriors. And many of them are still here and active in different parts of our church family. And I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for anybody who's come along and said, like, I'll dive in. I'll be a part of this epic adventure, this epic story. And I'm grateful for everyone who's done that. Why? Because... You're another reassurance from God to me that God wants to do something in our community to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And over the past 12 years, we've seen at least 734 people put their faith in Jesus. When I step back from seeing me in the middle of that story, I think, wow, God is amazing. When I see me in that story, I'm like, what is God thinking? So God has reassured me on multiple occasions. So I wonder for you, how do you need God to reassure you today? How do you need God to reassure you? Has he asked you to do something that you're scared to death? Are you thinking like, you got the wrong person? Is he asking you to trust him with something that you're afraid to kind of let go of and, and trust him with? How do you need God to reassure you? We've learned today, God is a very reassuring God. He does it consistently and patiently and kindly with us, just like he did with Gideon. So how do you need God to reassure you today? Judges chapter eight, verse 28 says, that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. So God brought peace to Gideon, Like, think about the peace that he had after defeating the Midianites in, in that battle. Like, I don't know that Gideon engaged any more of these, like, God, you got to prove yourself to me again. I'm not sure that he did that after that moment. I think he held on to that for a long time. Like, God proved himself in significant ways and brought Gideon peace, brought peace to the Israelites for the next Forty years, And I wonder for you today, how do you need God to, to bring peace to you? How do you need God to bring peace to your life? You know, we're in year two of this pandemic that is affecting our entire world that we call COVID. And there's a lot of fear that's still going on with it. And I wonder, do you need God to bring you peace around that? There's some health fears that you have for yourself or someone else. Do you need God to step into your health situation and bring you peace? There are a lot of us concerned about the direction of our nation, kind of what's happening in our nation and our world. And maybe that's the area you need God to bring you peace, where you can be reminded on a regular basis God is still sitting on his throne. Maybe sometimes we forget that. Maybe sometimes we get a little worried, a little anxious because we think like maybe God's on a bathroom break or something and he's not paying attention to what's happening here, Uh, but he's paying attention. He's sitting on his throne. He has peace and he can provide that peace to all of us. Maybe you're a little uncertain about your future. Maybe uh, you're fearful about the the future that lies ahead of you and you're not sure which direction to go. Maybe you need God to to bring you some peace in that context. Maybe um, you've been unjustly accused of something. You need peace there. Maybe something's happened to you that you haven't had peace in your life for a very long time. How do you need God to bring peace to you? Gideon gave God the name Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So it doesn't mean the Lord has peace. It doesn't mean that God has to calm himself down when things get a little out of control in the world. You know, like God going like, okay, like remind yourself, you're God, you're in charge, you're in control here, like calm down, everything's gonna be okay. God never has to do that. God has perfect peace all the time and he offers that perfect peace to his followers. So listen to what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said about that in Isaiah 26.3, he says, you, meaning God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So if you need peace today, guess what? You can have it. You can have peace in your life based upon this promise from God. And if you need peace, one of the things I recommend you do is memorize scripture and use it to replace some of the lies that you believe, some of the the anxiety that you may have in your life. Use the word of God, which is the truth of God, the sword of the spirit to battle those attacks of the enemy. And I recommend you memorize this verse. And I know I said, memorize, like most of us like, what? Memorize. I can't remember my phone number you memorize something like this, it can be used at any moment when you have fear. So you could start by just writing it down somewhere. Write it on a three by five card. Type it into your phone. Type it onto your computer. Post it somewhere. Post it at, uh, in your bathroom, on your mirror put it in your car, put it in some place at work. Put it around you where you can see it, and you can remember it over and over and over again. And then I would recommend continue to work on it until you've memorized it. And in those moments of panic and fear and insecurity, pull that verse out. Pull this verse out and say, "God, you will keep me in perfect peace, when I trust in you and when I fix my thoughts." on you. Peace is available. But we've got some work to do with that. So we have to receive it from God. We have to trust him. And we have to fix our thoughts on the one who is at peace. The one who is peace. Then listen to what Jesus says in John 14, and he was speaking this to his disciples before he knew he was gonna go back to heaven. And this is really cool to recognize, especially when we understand that it was Jesus, God the Son, who spoke words of encouragement to Gideon. So listen to the words of encouragement he gives us today. In John 14, verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. You can have peace in your mind. You can have peace in your heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world can't give. So he kind of says, like, stop looking for peace out there. You're not going to find it out there. You'll find it here with Jesus. So don't be troubled or afraid. You have no reason as a Christ follower to be afraid of anything when your mind is fixed on Christ and you have his peace. He makes it available. So if you're anxious, if you're insecure, if you're nervous, God knows that's a condition that we all have. So he comes along to us and says, hey, I've got a gift for you, peace of mind and heart. I make it available to you. You can have it today for any situation that you face, a financial situation, a health situation, a relationship situation, a future situation. You name it, you can have peace for it. One of the most amazing things to me about Yahweh Shalom is it means we can have peace with God. Now here's the reality of all of our relationships with God. We all have this war going on between us and God, whether you're a Christ follower or not but we all have this war where we're like little toddlers shaking our fists at God saying, you're not the boss of me, so leave me alone. We've got this will battle between God's will and our will. And every time we engage that, every time we engage that battle, that war between us and God, we end up insecure, afraid, and full of fear. And Yahweh Shalom means that we can have peace for today and peace for all of eternity through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God who is peace came to die so we can have peace. Jesus gave his life through his death, burial, and resurrection so that we could receive not just peace for today, but peace for all of eternity. And I wonder, do you have that peace? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, so that you know when you would pass from this life into the next, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen to you, that you know with confidence that you will stand in the presence of your loving God and hear him say, well done, welcome home. Do you have that kind of eternal peace? If you don't, you can. You can have it today. Uh, In just a minute, our worship team is going to come out. And they're going to close us in a new song for us. And this new song is entitled, Give Me Your Peace. And as we sing this new song, this is a great opportunity either for you to, to engage through song or to engage some reflection, engage a conversation with God about maybe the peace that you need in your life. And maybe today you need some reassurance. You need God to bring you peace. If so, talk to God about that. Tell him where you're at. You'd be like Gideon. Say, God, like, I don't know that you could use me. Like, just be honest with him. He knows. And then listen to him reassure you. Fix your thoughts on him. Trust him and allow him to give you his perfect peace that can pass any crazy situation that you might be facing right now. And if you're at a spot where you recognize that you have not received eternal peace through relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that, whether you're here or you're watching online, I encourage you during this song, tell God that. Tell him like, God, I need you. I want a relationship with you. I want the peace that you offer. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died so you can have that peace. And then ask Yahweh Shalom into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. He'll step in. He'll give you peace for today. He'll give you peace for tomorrow, and He'll give you peace for all of eternity. So during this song, talk to God about whatever reassurance you need, whatever peace you need, or possibly the eternal peace that you may need. So let's pray together, and then we'll sing. God, you know I personally connect with Gideon's story, and I think there are so many of us here today who do. Uh, You know most of us wrestle with insecurity and fear. We're afraid to do some of the things that you come along and ask us to do, because sometimes we just don't think we have what it takes. Sometimes we think we're nobody. Sometimes we we just don't think we can pull that thing off, and we make it so much about us instead about you and what you wanna do in our lives. So God, I pray that you would reassure those of us today who are insecure. I pray that you would bring your peace to those of us who are full of anxiety. I I pray that you would remind us that you make your peace available to us and it's your perfect peace. That we can actually have that in our lives no matter what we're facing. We can be at peace when we face all kinds of challenges because we trust in you. We've fixed our thoughts on the one who is peace. God, there just might be someone here today or watching online who recognizes they don't have eternal peace. God, you're the God who offers that to us. You're the God who makes that available to us through a relationship with Jesus Christ that that you showed up to be our hero, to die in our place. And Lord, you offer eternal peace to anyone who wants to receive it through belief in what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so, Lord, whether somebody's here on campus or someone's online, Lord, if they need to make that decision, I pray that they would talk to you about that in this moment. They would receive you as their personal Lord and Savior and then be confident in the eternal peace that you offer them. God, thank you for being a God who doesn't hold your peace to yourself, but who shares your peace with all of us. We pray that you would give us your peace and that we would receive it in Jesus' name.